welcome CFE Research Podcast, a podcast that aims to showcase the practitioner inquiry, scholarship and research being carried out within further education. It is just this kind of this sonic experience. It is, mm. it's, it's, I mean, I mean, I always think of it as sort of quite a quiet technology. I mean, it's, it, it's sort of democratizing and, and it's partly democratizing because it's, it's, it's lo-fi, but it's also, it feels like quite an inclusive format, partly because it's, you have to do quite some sort of work, I suppose, as the listener. It's not there sort of in your face saying you've got to break down this kind of 18-minute product because that kind of breaking down process of listening to that 18-minute podcast, that's that's over to the listener and the work that they'll be doing and the thinking that they'll that will come from them engaging with the ideas involved with the podcast. Hello and welcome to FE Research Podcast. My name is Joe Fletcher Saxon and my partner in crime is It's Alistair Smith. Hello, Joe. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm not too bad. Bit of time to just stop and concentrate on my studies and things. Uh yeah. As a as a slight redhead, I'm thinking I'm wondering how you're coping with the heat actually. Blonde. Uh perfectly fine. <laughs> a great tan as well. Thanks. <laughs> You say blonde. Okay. Um, right. So uh, special edition, really, this this uh, version of the podcast this evening. Um, so we've got with us uh, Dom Conroy of London Metropolitan University. Um, and he's here to talk about with us podcast. Well, it's a podcast about podcasting in education and academia. So hello, Dom. How are you? Hi, Joe. I'm good. Um, thank you very much for having me. I'm absolutely delighted to be here and talk about podcasts. Uh, yeah, great. Well, I'm I'm just going to share a bit with Alistair about um, how we met. We have this running joke, Alistair and I, about he thinks like uh, I just get to know lots of people. I dispute that, but <laughs> <laughs> um, we actually met, didn't we, via your, um, should we say your better half, uh, Debbie? I don't, is she your better half? I don't know. It was That's definitely right. Debbie. Yeah, she is, absolutely. <laughs> to some some sort of moment out there in the community brought us together and um, yeah. okay. uh, the love of podcasts. That was it. And, and we met online, didn't yeah. we? And we just geeked out for about an hour. Yeah. 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 So we thought, well, we better actually put this, um, put this into a recording so that that's what we're here to do um so um handily as well this has landed at a time where i've submitted an abstract to a conference which is on next week and i called well the title of my session is um scholarly podcasting and insurgent craft question mark um so i'm hoping actually basically what you two are going to do tonight is give me all my material for my conference session next week so no pressure right so um, just want to tell us a bit about your background Dom and your own research and how you arrived at this interest in podcasting yeah sure absolutely so so my background is far removed from podcast really sort of research wise so I'm a a health psychology person by sort of training Uh, that's what my PhD was in I was looking at sort of sobriety and non-drinking in my um, uh, PhD research and I guess it was doing my, my postgraduate certificate in teaching and having a very kind of inspirational um, sort of group to work with there that got me thinking about sort of different 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 modes of communication different ways of communicating as a teaching practitioner with learners learners communicating with learners and that's where podcasting came in really and sort of thinking about how they work and there's sort of a, a range of different studies and thinking around podcasts that I'm sure we'll 
touch on as things go on. But yeah, that that seemed interesting too. Just thinking about how people were using them, how people were talking about them, and how people were using them in research as well, um, brought mm. in all sorts of different ways, really. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, um, I mean, very much so. I mean, actually, I must say, this is going to help me write my chapter four of my thesis. So this is excellent. But um, so so far. Uh, some of the things I've talked about in there is how podcasting is is emerging as a field of study in its own right. Um, and in fact, there's um, I don't know whether it's in Aus- it's in Australia. I've, this is another abstract I've submitted. So I think I'm going to be up at 3 a.m. to present this one. But it is a, a conference online all about podcasting. And it's from a whole group that have emerged uh, academics that are into podcasting. Uh, but one of the people that gets mentioned in that cohort of people is somebody called Hannah McGregor. Okay. Now she says there are four essential key uses of podcasts in the world of academia. So I'm going to ask you about some of these. She said it's they are pedagogical tools, research promotion, knowledge dissemination, and scholarship. So those are the four that Hannah identifies. And I have to say, as an aside, Hannah has a podcast which is called The Secret Feminist Agenda. So automatically I loved her. <laughs> there can be no critique of Hannah. Anyway, so she comes, uh, she steps forward with these, you know, these four ideas about uh, the uses of podcasting. Now, I know in terms of pedagogical tool, you've definitely done that, Dom. So, so what do you think? How, how, is it a really useful pedagogical tool? Yeah, and no, that's uh, that's really interesting to hear. I mean, there's that it's a, the more I sort of look into podcasts, the more sort of names prop up, and the more you can see it sort of. It's there in different fields and being used in different ways. And I mean, as a sort of pedagogic tool, I don't really. I mean, again, it's a. It feels like a really kind of diffuse literature in terms of who's using it and how. And it's used in, you know, it's used in some disciplines in one kind of particular way, maybe. And it's there as a bit of a standard. And then in other kind of disciplines, it's it's used in entirely different ways. I mean, some of the ways that I've come across podcasting in the literature being being sort of used as a pedagogic tool is particularly in sort of allied health disciplines so occupational therapists physiotherapists nursing medics so thinking about using podcasts to kind of share experiences linked to maybe a more formal learning session so something that runs kind of in tandem with something that's been delivered in a lecture or something like that to offer a new kind of way of bringing together content or something like that that seems to be one way, but but then there seem to be all sorts of other ways as well. And there was one a study that came out two or three years ago that was, was a team of social workers in Canada who were encouraging their students to develop podcasts um, as a way of reflecting on sort of power dynamics linked to linked to sort of social work practice, and also as a way of sort of bridging kind of what was going on in the academia of training. Uh, the next generation of social workers and sort of bridging that with kind of the local community and sort of seeing seeing whether I think it was a local radio station in this paper uh, having the, the podcasts that were developed by these students for their a reflective part of their course having them also broadcast with a student's permission of course um, on this on this community radio station so sort of one way of kind of having that kind of those kind of scholarly activities taking place in a wider in a wider kind of context, which mm. I mean, which is what academia should be doing more and more, really, sort of bridging gaps and not just having that kind of quite narrow conversation with itself that um, academics are probably, probably a bit guilty of. Mm. 
Oh, sort of technical question there then. So the podcast is played on a radio station. When is it not a podcast? When is it just a radio show? Oh, that's a great question. Alistair, oh. come on, you're a media geek. Well, I think while you were talking about this, I was just thinking, you know, it's a podcast is really, I don't know if it's if it's where it's placed and more the mechanism. So it's that opportunity to have an open conversation. And I, I think it's, you know, you might have the, the phoning kind of content on a radio show, but but it's kind of, it's been, it's gone, it, it no longer exists. Whereas the podcast is the the conversation like we're having now that exists much longer. Um, I think the the issue then comes in like where you place that, keep it and and extend that system because, you know, you can write papers and books and they'll go to the British Library. But wouldn't it be fantastic if the British Library also kept recordings of all po- podcasts published on certain platforms and things like that? Because in time, these will be the conversations and the the mechanisms to be kept. And I think there are records of um, radio broadcasts normally kept, certainly in this country, through through Ofcom and things like that. So, yeah, maybe maybe it's the the, the podcasting is the the kind of platform. It's these conversations um, mm. and um, where they're placed. Maybe that's kind of fluid and dependent on technology and accessibility and things like that. Uh, see, I'm very black and white for me. Radio, radio, radio. <laughs> Oh, right. Okay. Um, right then. Now, um, Dom, you introduced the word power there. And I've been reading um, a book by Ian M. Cook called Scholarly Podcasting, Why, What and How that just came out earlier this year. Um, and he, I'm going to read out a number of quotes um, uh, from different people from from his his book because I think they just really will frame our conversation. But in terms of power, one of the things he says is he describes podcasting as an insurgency against academic structures. Right, these structures he says curb creativity, so an insurgency against academic structures. What do you think? Wow, that's a really powerful quote. It's an insurgency against academic structures. Um, I, I'm going to have to read that now and learn all about it. That sounds really, really interesting. Um, I suppose I, I wonder what sort of academic structures mean there, but I suppose I suppose my immediate sort of feeling about what that might mean is it's something like the conventional tools that we communicate in. I mean, not just, it's not just in academia, it's in it's broader culture, is it? Um, but, you know, I think we're all sort of kind of slaves to sort of text and text is our kind of mainstay register for having that kind of way of communicating with each other and and there are very good reasons for that so like you know instructions for a piece of work you know an assessment outline it, it, you know there's there are lots of very good reasons to have that on a word on you know four page word document because you know you can open that up and you're immediately you're in there you're reading through you're understanding the sections you're gravitating towards you know deadline date and you know key things to remember and where you submit the work and all those sorts of key facts. So there's a, there's there's a lot to be said for um, those kind of traditional ways of ways of communicating. But I suppose when we think about an engaging and particularly an inclusive kind of pedagogy, where we can include all our all our learners from all sorts of different backgrounds, with previous experience of education and everything else, then then we might ask those questions about having having something that just troubles and unsettles some of those kind of traditional approaches. And, you know, I think text, you know, I think we're all going to have a very different relationship with text. You know, our 
relationship with reading growing up as children, perhaps, is one sort of example. Um, and I think we carry that on into our adult lives and beyond, really. So I think anything anything within that learning environment, that that kind of you know that very charged environment where so much self-esteem and self-image and identity is kind of there and on display, I think it makes absolute sense that that sort of te text um, um, yeah, there might be all sorts of responses to that, and there might be all sorts of feelings about, you know, whether or not um, how how an individual learner kind of contributes to um, engaging with text, consuming text, but also producing text for their own um, for their own writing in response to different pieces of assessment. So I think that's where podcasts are kind of interesting. They're mm -hmm. kind of this this slightly more uncharted way of thinking about communicating and articulating. I don't, I'm not sure if podcasts are the start and the end point. I'm not, I mean, that's, I, I like the idea of an insurgency. I think that's fantastic. Um, but I think there's, there's definitely a way, even for podcast cynics out there, there's definitely a way that podcasts can kind of dovetail with other kind of ways of thinking about learning with more kind of traditional, maybe sort of text based uh, learning and teaching resources in a way that can only enhance the, um, the learning experience and learning outcomes. But, mm. but, yeah, maybe. Mm. Well, we'll come back. Hold on to those sort of cr that critical thinking. We'll come back to some of that later. Um, well, you see, you're mentioning the written word there. So another little um, quote from within Ian's book is it's somebody called Laurie Beckstead, I think, described as a podcast scholar. Now, that's my new ambition now, to be described as a podcast scholar. Uh, and she says, I hope podcasting, podcasting can drive a wedge into the walls of the ivory tower. And she talks about the hegemony of the written word. Mm. Go on, respond, respond. <laughs> what I, do just, you think? I, just, I just want to meet these people. I think I, I, think that I, <laughs> I, just, I just want to meet these people. And, and so, I mean, I think, I think this is, this is sort of a big part of sort of podcasting for me and it. You know, I, I'm 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 very out here in terms of thinking about podcasting, but it it does feel like there's there's some sort of community of practice that can be kind of built and encouraged and developed here, and and in a way, I think it's bigger than podcasting. I'm not sure mm. I'm not sure what the parameters are around that, but it's something about podcasts, podcasting, you know that that kind of verb. But then it's something about voice. It's yeah. about voice replacing messaging and texting just as one sort of example this is slightly off piece but it does sort of link up when i'm doing some teach some online teaching in an online environment where everyone's cameras tend to be off and you know there's the option of messaging using the messenger or using the microphone in in one particular um, um institutional setup i work in um it's it's it, some sort of culture has emerged there where we're only sort of texting and messaging is used but voice is never used so i mean that's that's kind of interesting that's sort of another way of thinking about voice because i think yeah. we, we do live in an era now when you know we are all messaging you know we are all mm. text messaging uh, or almost all of us um in our daily lives just all the time so we've got a new yeah. relationship with text and but uh, i think there's an opportunity there and almost you know and as kind of teachers we've just got that kind of role and you know, to kind of shake that up a bit and think, well, hang on, how do we retain voice or how do we give a new role to voice? Or I'm not sure what it is, mm. but um, I've forgotten the question. Oh, no, it's all right. Yeah. <laughs> That's fine. Um, 
Yeah, as you were speaking then, I was thinking about the whole messaging thing. Yeah. If I'm WhatsApping, like Alistair, for example, daily, um, it, it, I, it's conversational. It's my voice in a way. That's what I'm hearing. I'm speaking. I don't think that if I'm writing a piece, like an abstract, for example. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, Alistair, go on. Yeah, I, I was thinking about that conversation thing as well. And there's something about when you're doing the written word, you you have an idea about what you want to say and you structure it and you type it and you reshape it and you edit it and you you go back on that. And, and there's part of that that loses its authenticity to a degree. Mm. Um, whereas the, the conversation rather like we're having now, you know, you, there's some time to think perhaps, but there's no there's no time to uh, hit that backspace key or copy and paste a section of it or or save it for later or move it to another chapter um and i think that that conversational flow adds something else um that that can't come through with the written word it takes away some of that formal structure but that doesn't make it any less valid if anything the authenticity of of that conversational flow perhaps gives it more gravitas because you know we can go back and change our thinking over and over again. But I, I like that kind of immediacy of the podcast conversation. Yeah, and um, um, actually, authenticity is a thing that comes up um, strongly throughout the book as a, as a, a key theme. You're just making me think. Then you're right. So a written piece, you've crafted and crafted and crafted it, haven't you? You've reworked it, whereas. Like in this situation now, um, it's like a, a live, it's iterative, the word draft. It's uh, just, <laughs> you know, uh, we're working it as we go and it won't be complete. It won't be a polished thing at the end. Um, oh, yeah, I like that. Um, community, you you mentioned, actually, that comes up as a theme in, in this book as well. Um, and it says it can podcasts can create community. I'm not sure whether it means... So say there's a yeah, podcast about social workers, so the social workers will gather around it. That becomes a community, almost like subject community or professional communities or hobbyist or, you know, whatever, that kind of thing. Um, I'm not too sure. Um, right, okay. Um, moving on to another little quote then. Um, I, I hope I already said this one. I don't know. Have I said the one about... Um, Producing an academic? No, I don't think so. No, right, okay. Let's go there. Let's go there. <laughs> right, this is Liz Wayne from uh -huh. PhDvers podcast, and she says in Cook's book, I'm not sure it's always clear whether, whether our podcast is academic production or production of an academic. And I think what she's pointing to there is how uh, uh, podcasting, the act of podcasting is kind of contributing to the creating the profile of that 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 scholar. Um, mm. It might be actually highlighting the department, but it might be th their own academic profile in some way. Now, I can also think of criticism of that actually from some quarters, but that's what she's saying. She's saying, you know, is it kind of producing the academic, the academic who will talk, articulate, share, do the kind of stuff that's expected. Um, I don't know. What do you think of um, Liz's uh, quote there? Wow. I mean, it's sort of all sorts of 
sort of in terms of what's being talked about here, it's a really tricky one. I think, I mean, there's, I mean, I suppose when you're reading out those quotes, um, I suppose it made me think about how, how, you know, there's, and this sort of links into what Alice was saying in, in the last section as well about how, you know, about, you know, whether or not podcasts have that kind of authentic status because they are done kind of spontaneously and we can't edit back that thing we said five or 10 seconds ago or something. Um, but there is the, 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 there's something kind of performative, isn't there, about sort of podcasts. It's sort of, it's, it's the person speak, you know, unless they're literally reading from a script, which, which will come across anyway in terms of how the podcast is being sort of produced and delivered, I suppose, anyway. But unless, unless that's happening, then, then there is something kind of performative, sort of the, the, the understanding or the, the points of emphasis or the, the social justice underpinning what's being talked about or whatever the quality is of what's being sort of talked about is it, it's kind of being modeled. It's kind of being sort of role modeled or so. I mean, I, I mean, that's one thing I think, I think podcasts are really important partly in, in a learning and teaching context anyway, in terms of modeling that uncertainty almost mm. it's sort of modeling, you know, that it, it can't all be the finished product. We could, there isn't such a thing as the perfect essay necessary. There isn't such a thing as the perfect response to a question. There's a process of working through. And that doesn't mean we can, you know, I, you know, and, and this is all sort of talking about podcasts as produced by teaching practitioners. And there might be all sorts of ways in which podcasts might work in educational environments. But I suppose there is, there is one way in which teaching practitioner produced podcasts, I think, can, can can just convey something about it's okay to have that uncertainty. And, you know, we can go in with a fairly loose structure and, you know, have that introductory, you know, starting point as we've had in this edition today, have that closing plenary point in the podcast, but sort of sandwiched between there might just be kind of three three points or three kind of strands to kind of draw out, to summarize um, a seminar that's taken place to highlight key points about an upcoming piece of assessment, something like that. But having that looseness and that uncertainty and that even a, maybe a bit of mini kind of backtracking within the course of a podcast, yeah, it feels like there's something quite useful being kind of modeled there for learners in terms mm. of just performing that kind of uncertainty around the process because there is uncertainty involved in learning, isn't there? I mean, there is, you are kind of putting yourself on the line and maybe sort of making that explicit and using voice to do that. Um, maybe there's something that can be sort of reassuring almost. I don't know. These are just ideas, but yeah. Mm. Mm. Oh, Alistair. Yeah. As I was listening to Dom talking and, and my initial kind of response to that question was, well, can, can the answer be both? Um, and, and I was listening to some of the things that Dom was saying and, and what I was, what I was doing, and it might just be me inside my head, but if I listen to um, a presentation by someone and in that kind of authentic voice, you know, it's it's flowing, it's in person, whether that's um, through the, the platform of a podcast like this or a, an online lecture or a lecture in person. If somebody is engaging in that way, it, it's very easy for us as human beings to, to kind of make a judgment and go, do you know what, that, that person knows that they know their stuff. Um, and they're engaged with it. And I'm not sure that we can do that with the written word in the same way, because of course it should be polished and refined and perfect. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a difference. And then it made me think about knowing your stuff and a point where you would have a conversation about that. 
um, and hopefully something we'll experience in the not too distant future um, would be a viva. You know, you you have that conversation about the work and the questioning and the understanding. So if um, you know if it can be you know the both that production and and the product, um, and it's sort of one of those academic flowing conversations. I think that's perhaps something to consider as well. Mm. Okay. Uh, right, I've got another nice juicy quote. Now, this one is from Martin Spinelli, also described as a podcast scholar by Cook. And Martin refers, well, he says, it's not since radio in er- the early 20th century have we seen a change in the way people are listening and the way they are making sense out of what they are hearing. Okay, now this really... Um, was an important little find for me because I'm using podcasting as method within my own PhD. And one of my, is the word contentions? I don't know. One of my things is I say, by by using this, I'm relinquishing control because yes, I will use the research conversations I have that I'm, that I'm, curating and gathering as podcasts people enter into that space knowing that but when I use those conversations I analyze using whatever my theoretical framework is or whatever I'm making meaning in just my way somebody else may listen with or without reading the written word and make their own meaning I take I'm I'm not trying to control by having it pinned down totally only in the written word it's out there so I quite like this idea that he says you know we've seen a change in the way people are listening and how they are making sense out of what they hear what's your thinking there wow these are these are these are awesome quotes these are these are really um these are these are fantastic um well i mean i here's where here's where i just love to know his i just love to know some history i'd love to know some sort of you know see some see some sort of some data on, you know, sort of radio consumption in the, I don't know, 30s, 40s, 50s, and how that was supplanted and changed with the advent of sort of mass phone. And then how podcasts, and I suppose, see, I, you'll know much more than me about um, how and when podcasts have sort of come onto kind of the cultural kind of landscape. I'm guessing it's the last 10, 15 years, really. And that, and that it feels like there's been something since since COVID, and you know some sort of some sort of kind of reinvestment in products that kind of offer some sort of synthesis of what's going on. But I'm 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 uh, I'm 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 fascinated by why sort of podcasts are are something now that can offer a kind of rival or alternative sort of format really i mean and that must i don't know i don't know whether i'm presuming people have talked about that and all people are talking about that um but the idea that that can sort of sit alongside but also as an alternative to um a youtube video or or or, you know or something that's clearly sort of visual um or you know visual and or kind of edited although swiss podcasts can be edited too um um that feels like a phenomenon in its own right, almost. How sort of podcasts have gained some sort of sort of place in the cultural landscape. But then again, mm-hmm. I suppose podcasts take all sorts of 
shapes and forms. And in reality, there's a bit of a sliding scale from more polished, edited mm. visual products to that very kind of um, spontaneous, unmanufactured kind of podcast type of thing. It's interesting, isn't it? Mm. Probably <laughs> there's a sliding scale with academic articles as well. I know which end I'm at. Right, Alistair, you were going to add comment there. Um, so while while you were doing that, um, when when you read the quote, the first thing I scribbled down on my pad in front of me was democratized media content, really. Um, and I was thinking about tools and accessibility. And while while Don was talking, I, I started to think about the parallels, perhaps with printing. Um, so you know, like the the first kind of recorded conversations that that I've seen about democratized media content really was um, publishing during the French Revolution. Um, and it was a very long time until desktop publishing tools came online for people to to produce their own content, perhaps write blogs and publish them through the internet and, and uh, fanzines and things like that. So maybe it's just about waiting for those tools to to be available and applicable. So um, yeah, okay, 1920s, 30s radio, and uh, yeah, geeks like me doing my, my amateur radio, um, we could broadcast our own content, okay, but this is a specialist field, and you are, you know, you have to, if you haven't got a, a radio station as your platform, then you have to have engineering understanding and all those things, so it's not easily accessible. Fast forward on, and, you know, you might see the, the kind of low-level stuff, you get the local radio stations, radio uh, radio stations within schools and hospitals and things like that, so it starts to become more accessible, and then, boom, you know, you get these easily accessible tools on your mobile phone, um, through your laptop computer, the built-in microphone no longer sounds like a horrendous telephone handset or something like that. And all of a sudden, that content becomes something worth listening to. So there are, I think, some parallels through through all of those media content. So, yeah, maybe it's that thing about just being democratized and that perfect moment of there being a movement towards it. Um, an understanding of the technology um, that perhaps doesn't require some of those specialist sco- uh, skills. You know, it's easy to hit the automatic gain control in the podcasting voice filter and everything is as perfectly polished as having a sound engineer make it up for you. So um, it means that those tools are more available to the masses and and it kind of flows that way. Mm. Mm, okay. Uh, next theme I'm going to introduce is the idea of opening up scholarship then. So, um, oh, I can't even remember who said this one. We haven't got their name. I might mention their name. <laughs> oh, I think it's Kevin Nudson. I think it's Kevin Nudson. Right. He says, there's a disingenuous buzz about open access scholarship, basically because he's saying as much there's still... Um, this dominance of journals writing for an academic journal and there's a whole juggernaut behind those in terms of money and what you know various boundaries that must be passed and so on so you know how open is open really um whereas this he he describes i think i think he uses the term radically again insurgent open access um and he talks about the podcast liberating knowledge, putting ideas into public spheres that otherwise may not be heard. And but I would say as well, almost is it the flip side of that? I'm not sure. Is putting um content out sort of or straight into people's ears where they would not normally even engage. 
they wouldn't go looking for that even in the written word. But so I, I'm seeing it in a slightly different way. So what what do we think about this idea of liberating knowledge? Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, I suppose it does. It does. Um, I suppose. I mean, I suppose. Sort of, as you know, people who are less, who are more skeptical, more doubtful about podcasts, will say, "Well, you can't, you can't." You know, there's only there's only certain ways in which that's going to be useful, in which that's going to be effective. Um, but I suppose you know, no one, no one really says that very much about you no. Know, a set of 62 PowerPoint slides, which are just taken as kind of a staple kind of thing that you're going to have for a three-hour session, hopefully fewer than 62 PowerPoint <laughs> slides. But, you know, you know, that, that, you know, that's, that's just taken as kind of like, oh, well, yeah, you've got, you know, you've got that, you've got the references at the end, you've got some nice pictures, you have visual appeal, that's good. You've got some hyperlinks there, that's, that's handy. You've got some, you know, some interesting emoticons going on there. That, that's all very good. Um, but, you know, suddenly when 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 all the visual is shorn off and when the text is taken away, other than the the text on the description of the podcast when you when you first click it, I suppose, um, it is just this kind of this sonic experience. It is, it's, it's. I mean, I mean, I always think of it as sort of quite a quiet technology. I mean, it's it, it's sort of democratizing, and I mean, it's partly democratizing because it's it's, it's lo-fi, but it's also it feels like quite an inclusive format. Um, partly because it's you have to do quite some sort of work, I suppose, as the listener. But it is it is quite a it's not there, sort of in your face, saying you've got to break down this kind of eighteen minute product because that kind of breaking down process of listening to that eighteen minute podcast that's that's over to the listener and the work that they'll be doing and the thinking that they'll that will come from them engaging with the ideas involved with the podcast. Um, sorry, my, my thinking here is all over the place. <laughs> but um, I suppose, I mean, look, one thing, one, mm. one really interesting thing about podcasts, I think, and one way in which they do maybe sort of liberate knowledge, which is what we're sort of thinking about here was, I mean, there's no, I mean, I suppose podcasts can have an index and it, or, you know, there could be something that says, right, skim on to minute nine, mm. To hear to hear Joe and Alistair talking about social constructionism or something or something like that, but 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 a lot of them won't have that, and a lot of them you can't you can't see what's no you can't see the content kind of first blush as you can with a textual document where you can see oh yeah on page three that's where there's the assessment criteria of a, a word document or but 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 that's there's something quite again there's something quite empowering about that and something quite that feels quite helpful, arguably, in kind of pedagogical teaching and learning type terms. Mm. Because then the onus is over, like, the role, the power, the work on one level it is, is over to the consumer because they are there etching out that skeleton of what they're listening to in real time and engaging with it and sort of tying it all together as they go along. And it just seems like a different way of, and of course, it is difficult to talk about it, isn't it? Because I mean, we've established it's over like a sliding scale, and no two podcasts are going to be quite the same, and some are going to be a bit more indexy and a bit more. Now we're turning to point four or five type of approach, but mm. assuming they're that bit less structured, which a lot of podcasts are, I think, um, uh, that I've heard used for kind of learning and teaching processes, then 
then yeah, hopefully there is that there is that different approach which does enable a different way for knowledge to kind of work and to have to have things set up maybe a bit more in terms of kind of a process rather than that kind of traditional knowledge information transmission um, mm. type of approach that as 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 we sort of hopefully mainly feel now in learning and teaching circles is not is not the way to cultivate um engaged lasting inclusive learning yeah uh, alistair um while i was listening to you talking i was thinking about two two things that popped in my head really and it's that balance between engagement um and yeah you know the, the podcast can be really engaging but i think the other side of it was permanence and what i was thinking you know we've got all of those traditional published texts um, and there can be echoes of them going on centuries back. And I know that there's those conventions of we we should really reference kind of more up-to-date material, but there are some areas of thinking that that date back a very long time that, that we go back on. How far back can we go with some of this podcasting-based content? And I wonder if maybe there, there are things to consider in, in the future about how we can make it more permanent and permanence you know this conversation we're having now will have value and 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 may have value certainly to to your work joe but but others besides but when we stop paying for the hosting of it what happens to this podcast you know does it just disappear um does it no longer have that permanence and so it might be engaging for the time being but but where are those echoes of that work down the line so i think that was just kind of where i was thinking about that in terms of scholarship it's like tell if we could be. anchor it a little bit more it would be there. i'll tell you where it'll be anchored chapter four <laughs> <laughs> my thesis um yeah okay look i've got two more little things to uh just share with you then uh before we, we wrap things up because the other thing is don one of the things we um we might have just overdone it tonight, but what we often say, Alistair and I, is um, in terms of the length of the podcast, if we think somebody might fall asleep whilst listening in the bath and potentially drown, then we've gone on too long. So we'll just uh, share uh, two more things. Right, so Michaela Benson, she um, likes to think of the the downloads, the number of downloads of a podcast as a visual of people in the room, which I was thrilled by because that means we're now talking to six thousand people. That's what I like because you know because we're, we're nearly up to there with our downloads. Um, but she says um, she talks about this format enlivening the process of knowledge production, enlivening. Um, and she particularly says it's really great for more participatory forms of research as well. Well, I think that spoke to me. Um, that sort of seems to tie in with um, the kind of things you've said tonight and, you know, my, my experiences. Um, is there anything we challenge Michaela on there? Wow. So that's, yes, another fantastic question. Enlivening the process of podcasts or podcasting is whether enlivening the process of knowledge production. Well, that's really interesting, isn't it? I suppose one thing to sort of think about there, and this, you know, this has come up a few times over the last half hour or so, sort of thinking about, you know, podcasts as being this kind of product, and that being one of their, you know, that being one of their advantages, maybe, is that they they are something that you know, as sort of an individual entity that has its own kind of kind of character and everything, and and something around permanence there that Alistair was talking about in the last book, which is very interesting. I'm thinking about. 
or does it then is it then meant to exist in the same way as a book on a shelf or does it fade away and is it is that part of how it enlivens the process of knowledge production that kind of thing I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of it, a lot of it depends, doesn't it, on on that thing you were talking about there, Joe, about like the length of podcasts and, uh, you know, and and you know, obviously podcasts are going to be used in different ways, but sort of podcasts, I guess, that are kind of learner facing, sort of practitioner delivered podcasts. I mean, that's that's how I've mainly used them, so that's how I've, I mainly feel kind of confident about talking about them. Um, but I think, yeah, that's that's clearly a very kind of teacher does to student type of setup. So I mean, I think, I think you know, I, I think you know, I've certainly got a long way to go as a practitioner in terms of um, enlivening the process of knowledge production. But I think, I think that's where sort of thinking about podcasts is one way of thinking about voice as an alternative um, kind of way of reframing or thinking about the learning environment. I think that's that feels very kind of powerful. And you know, you have sort of platforms like I don't know, platforms like Padlet or something. Where you could have, you know, a sequence of different kind of pod- podcast-based conversations. You could have an initial practitioner-produced podcast, uh, an activity where students are invited to engage with that, and then produce a podcast in response to that. I mean, that that feels like a more. I mean, I suppose one, you know, assuming there is just one speaker or just a couple of speakers involved in podcasts. I suppose some people might think of podcasts as a, a little bit closed format in terms of sort of permitting dialogue um but i mean again in you know if we're talking about a standalone podcast versus a series of podcasts then that's again different but yeah i, I mean the, there is you know in terms of, sort of knowledge production i think thinking about things like a series of podcasts or a sequence of podcasts produced by different speakers that feels like you know one way in which um you might start challenging that idea of podcasts and their potential for enlivening the process of knowledge production, but then maybe it's how they're carried through and how they're understood as kind of a set of um, a set of products or a sequence of products, something mm. like that. Mm. Okay. Um, we should probably finish with some um, some critique, really, because we've all been really like, yeah, hey. Um, actually, my um, I suppose my well, I don't suppose he was. He never needed to. Ian in his new text is engaged with uh, critique much, um, and there isn't much that I would say is mm, critical. Um, what 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 do we think the possible dangers are of podcasting in academia? Mm. That's a that's a deathly silence. We'll have to cut that out. Come on, well, pair of you. <laughs> well, I wondered. Does Alistair want to go first, or uh, <laughs> I can go first? Or? I was I was thinking, Dom, about what I said earlier about that authenticity of the quick conversation. But of course, while it can be that, it can also be the complete opposite, hmm. um, because it it you know that that traditional written text with the the perfect accurate referencing and and you know the ability to to go and find that text and content and cross reference it and check it um so yeah while while there's some authenticity to it and validity i think it's also the complete opposite at the same time um and and it would be really quite difficult just to differentiate between those two things um 
so yeah but perhaps uh, maybe some guidance or or um structure on the how to or you know a, a good code of practice for academic podcasting might, might be suitable to you know hang on a minute we've got referencing mechanisms to reference a podcast but we haven't got referencing mechanisms to reference within a podcast so why is that you know we can we could do that you know it's not beyond the realms of possibility so yeah. that's just the thinking on that one mm. Yeah, no, that's no, it's, it's really interesting, and yeah, it's um, there's there's sort of all sorts of ways, and you know, could think about like a, a critique of podcasting. And yeah, it's definitely important to have that kind of balance as well. And yeah, so I mean, that's that's something I definitely wouldn't have thought of. You know, thinking about them as authentic, um, inauthentic in that sense. And I mean, I suppose I mean, there's so there's one. I mean, I suppose there is that thing. I mean, if we're thinking about a critique of podcasts, then maybe 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 one of them comes back to that thing from earlier. Of, you know, you can't. You know, with a text document, you are you are kind of assuming you're relatively kind of literate. Then you are already in there as you look at that document. You're already there scanning the the volume of words and the headings and the page numbers, and you can you can, you can make sense of an awful lot in a very short space of time. And podcasts are that kind of black box. You know, you look at how long it is twenty seven minutes. Have I got twenty seven minutes? What other tasks can I combine while I listen to that podcast so there's there's a bit of a kind of bartering kind of role maybe on the part of the consumer sort of like how do i how do i make you know that's quite a commitment and we're all quite time poor in 2023 so maybe that's part of it i wondered a bit when you're sort of introducing someone to a critique podcast i wondered as well if there was there's something about and that's interesting i think that's a really interesting idea that alice was talking about there about a code of practice about podcasting mm-hmm. podcasts and I was sort of similarly thinking about sort of ethical ethical lines with podcasting, and and I we're all we're sort of speaking earlier about sort of the the opportunities for overcoming particular relationships with text and the word, a different kind of different learning groups, and you know, but I wonder if also so, so there are all sorts of opportunities with using voice and with hopefully you know developing a more trustful, engaged, um, inclusive learning environment but i suppose there are also risks with voice and there there are there are risks with the unknown and the uncertain and there are risks with asking students to produce a podcast you know maybe even for kind of formative assessment purposes to help them engage with something or for some sort of collaborative learning type of task and there might be some real risks involved in having having that kind of peer group produce something and uh, you know, things not going quite right and the pressure when the record button is hit and just, you know, and, and again, there was that thing about the whole, you know, a history of relationship with, with reading and with text, but there's also a history of relationship with one's one's own voice and, uh, you know, articulating in real time and articulating in real time in company with, with, with a record button going. So maybe there are some sorts of risks there um, in terms of, some sort of mass um, new kind of turn to podcasting, and you know, there's that chat GPT climate, isn't there? Well, well, we might be going into an era of kind of vivers and you know, or rethinking how kind of textual materials and assessment works and leaning in, uh, in learning and teaching contexts. But um, yeah, ethics, code practice, risks along with all that that, mm-hmm. that does feel really important. Yeah, it does. It does. I think you've just got yourself a little job there, Dom. If you could whip up that nice little good practice code there for us, that'd be 
<laughs> Wonderful. No pressure, Don. No pressure. No. Okay. Well, look, we'll round things off. That's been fascinating and absolutely perfect for me. Um, uh, so thank you very much for joining us, Dom. That's been great. Thank you both so much. I've loved talking. Thank you very much. You have been listening to the FE Research Podcast, a Sheep Hill Studio production. Thanks for listening and we hope you can join us again soon.